You're listening to You Heard It Here First, the first United Methodist Church of New Ulm podcast. So earlier this week, I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. It's not an uncommon thing, especially in this day and age, but I didn't answer, which might sound strange to some, until I add that my phone registered it as a potential spam phone call. So I let it go to voicemail, and when I checked it a moment later, the beginning of the message read, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Maybe you've gotten those phone calls in the past or in the present. It's the latest in the spam phone call wave, scammers trying to steal or get a hold of your personal information for their own gain. And while it can be frustrating, this simple yet innocuous act reminded me quite a bit of our scripture text from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, which is the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples on Easter evening, as well as the story of Doubting Thomas. But what's striking about this text, we find right at the beginning and comes to us at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. Did you hear it? The doors of the house where the disciples met were locked. In other words, the disciples were afraid. It seems a bit strange to us, perhaps, as modern hearers of this passage, that in the midst of the celebration of Easter, the resurrection, the disciples gathered out of fear and were hiding behind locked doors because they were uncertain about what was to come, which feels oddly appropriate for this Easter season, doesn't it? Asking the question, what now? So let's track this a little bit. The disciples have lived through the experiences of Holy Week. Peter and John had heard the testimony of Mary Magdalene and even still, are huddling in a room together, seemingly asking the same question we are asking at the moment. What now? And so it seems a bit odd to us, for those who hear this text today, that the disciples responded to the resurrection the way we did. But let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room before we judge them too harshly. This is a group of people in grief. After being selected by their rabbi to follow him, After seeing him do all these miracles, healing and feeding people and preaching and teaching, after sharing meals with him and hearing his parables and his own teaching about who he was and the activity of God in the world, to have it all end in brutal state-sanctioned murder, we can maybe understand a bit more why they locked themselves in a room for fear of the Jewish authorities. I remember a few years ago when my best friend, Clint, died. His memorial service was on a Sunday afternoon, and the following Tuesday, one of his daughters had a birthday. So the Sleepy Eye Church, where he used to serve, threw her a birthday party, and my family and I went. But the whole time, I kept waiting for him to walk in, so much so that I looked over my shoulder more than once, expecting him to just show up, as if he was just in the bathroom or somewhere else, or maybe just late. In other words, friends, grief can make us do funny things. Even so... In the midst of it all, Jesus showed up to the disciples in their moment of despair, in their time of grief. And again, just like the resurrection itself, I can't explain how it happened, just that it did. And yet, even in the midst of it all, it's made clear that Christ met the disciples where they were, in the midst of their pain, 
and fear and even grief. And it's not until Jesus shows them his hands and his side do we see the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They needed that firsthand experience with Jesus. They needed to see him. And they needed reassurance that he was alive. Because even though Mary Magdalene had gone and done what Jesus had told her to do in the preceding passage, to bear witness to the disciples, they still locked themselves in a room later that night. So Jesus appears and blesses them with four simple words, peace be with you. It's in the midst of this blessing and the disciples rejoicing that Jesus commissions them with a few more simple yet profound words. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And Jesus breathed on them and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And while this is a difficult passage to make sense of on an intellectual level to a point, I take comfort in knowing that Jesus showed up to the disciples in their moment of need, that Jesus met the disciples as they were broken and hurting, confused, maybe angry or sad or both or nothing or something else entirely. And it's these, this group of ne'er-do-wells that Jesus commissions to continue his work in the world. And while I've wrestled with the idea that Jesus appeared in bodily form to the disciples all those years ago in a pre-enlightenment world. Scripture bears witness to the stories of Jesus, the disciples, and the early church. It occurs to me as well that the same holds true for us as modern hearers and readers of this passage. Christ still meets us in our midst, just as we are, broken and hurting, confused, perhaps angry or sad or both. The question is, do we have open eyes to see, open ears to hear, open hearts to understand, and open hands willing to serve? Because while I would love to have Jesus appear to me in bodily form, my experiences with God have been a bit different. But you see, that doesn't make them any less valid. I can recall several experiences where I've had in my own life where I was absolutely certain that I was in God's presence. And just like the twelve... We are commissioned to not only continue the work of Christ in the world, but also to be the people of God and to bear witness to not only what we have read in Scripture, but also what we have experienced for ourselves, the love of God made manifest in Christ Jesus. So earlier this week, I came across a passage from Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved, that a colleague shared with me, and I'd like to share a bit of it with you now. Now and writes this, aren't you like me hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being you desire? Don't you often hope, maybe this book, idea, course, trip, job, country, or relationship will fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you are waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. Well, you and I don't have to kill ourselves. 
We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That's the truth of our lives. That's the truth I want you to claim for yourself. That's the truth spoken by the voice that says, you are my beloved. Listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness, I hear at my center words that say, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of, on the earth and knit you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you, with care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you, and wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, as I know you as my own. You belong to me. I am your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, and your spouse. Yes, even your child. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will ever separate us. We are one. And so, dear friends, may we experience the risen Christ by embracing the truth of our own belovedness and invite others into more of the same both now and always. May it always be so. Amen.